appetite for distortion. And welcome to the best of the podcast. My name is Brando. So today we're going to put all the best of the interviews that we've done in 2020. Big names that we've had on the podcast. Gilby Clark, Eddie Trunk, uh, Susan Holmes, Mick Hagan, uh, Vicky Hamilton, GNR's first manager, Matt Sorum, Dave Mustaine, Roberta Freeman, Tracy Amos, Tracy and Roberta both on the podcast this year. Harry Shearer from The Simpsons. Doug Goldstein, Scott Stapp, who's actually going to be playing Frank Sinatra in a movie coming up. That's a story for another time. Rob Halford, the uh, the metal god, was on the show this year. Robbie Krieger, the legend from The Doors. Suspect 208, featuring London Hudson, slash his uh, eldest son, uh, Noah Weiland. Uh, you had Ty Truio and uh, Nico Sangaris, Suspect 208. Stephen Piercy from Rat, and Frank, Frank Ferrer. From a band called Guns N' Roses. So sit back, relax, however you enjoy Appetite for Distortion, however you listen to the podcast. Enjoy the best of 2020. I'm I'm excited uh, to talk to you today because there, honestly, yeah. Dave, there was nothing I wanted to, to do on my birthday than to talk to you about Rusty. It's your birthday today? It is. Holy cow. Are you, are you married? Um, let's just say soon. Soonish. You got a girlfriend? I do. Are you going to get laid today? Uh, no comment that may or may not have happened. It's your birthday, and you're not going to get uh, you know old in out in out, you know. Oh no! It it, it happened this morning before oh, I <laughs> early riser. <laughs> Afternoon delight. Okay, remember that song? That horrible song. I do. Uh, I do. Awesome. Uh, but I don't want to talk about horrible music. I want to talk about great music. All right, let's talk. To, to celebrate your anniversary of sorts, Rust in Peace, what inspired you, I guess, to, to you do this unique way of, because of reissues? And there's a lot of ways to celebrate an anniversary, but to put together a book and like how you did it, where it's thoughts of, a, of so many different people, what, what was the, the catalyst to inspire you to, to put this to book? Well, I've always tried to be an innovator with the things that I do. There's not really very many original things left in this uh, world. So um, either you just, you're going to have to grin and face it or you're going to have to work extra hard. So I think when we started doing the package for this, you know, and granted we have a box set coming out for everything, but this was something really different. You know, it was telling the story behind the story because, you know, everybody knew that I, I was uh, completely out of control uh, with my, my addictions and stuff, but nobody knew that about Ellison. So when the book starts off and then within the first two and a half pages, he's uh, addressing um, and confessing his uh, heroin addiction, that pretty much grabs the reader by the old sack. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, Dave, I, I often talk about uh, on this podcast, sobriety and, and addiction. This uh, December will be about five years for me since I've had a drink. And yeah. I've had Dave on the show before, and he's a wonderful guy. And I'm glad to see him and you come out the, the other side. And somebody else who's come out through the other side, we talk about a lot on this podcast, is Slash. Uh, if you need to get that, I understand. I don't know if, if the no. president's calling you. <laughs> no, we, are, we talked this morning while you were doing your wife. <laughs> right on. Uh, 
with, with what made you want to have Slash write the forward? I guess because I'm sure there's a lot, there's a lot of people that were inspired by you. Or I think anybody would have wanted to have Slash write it, but the thing is, it actually was part of an interview that he did with somebody else, and um, was part of our team. And they said there was just a really great uh, thing that Slash had been talking about you, and and why don't you use that? And when I read it, I was just you know, gloating. It was just great. You know, it's great to have people say nice stuff about you like that, but guys that, that you really look up to, you know, not just because they're successful because, you know, I'm successful too, but yeah. we were, we were close. Um, we spent a lot of time together. David spent more time with Slash than I did, but I think that we had that guitar player bond. Right on. I, I want to ask while we're kind of on that subject a little bit the the chapter uh, the the chapter excuse me called Axel calls. Can you talk to me about uh, just a phone call from Axel Rose how it kind of put a you know a monkey wrench in the production of the record? Uh, well, it, it 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 kind of put a monkey wrench in things, I guess you could say. Um, it, but I think we were going into it with the right headspace because we knew that the possibility was that everything was going to get fucked. So we, we started the record. Mike told us if Axel calls, he's going to have to go and finish their record because he had just done their record. Their record was bigger than any of ours. And um, he had made a commitment to them already. And more important than sales or any of that stuff was the commitment, the word, his word. So when he said he had to go, I was okay with it. Wasn't happy, but I was okay with it. Mm. Four years ago today, it was not a joke, uh, the April Fool's joke that Guns N' Roses played the Troubadour. Did you, when did you first find out that all of this was going to happen, the reunion? Because you know before, you know, most people, the public knows, or did you not find out until they finally hit the stage? What was your, your timeline of the whole GNR reunion? Well, I, uh, it's funny because leading into the official announcement of the reunion, there were countless reports and rumors and people out there saying it was fact and what have you. And I shied away from preaching or not preaching, but announcing or broadcasting that that was fact because I honestly didn't know. Mm. I had heard some stuff on the inside and I'd heard some people that it was a done deal, but you know, I have a relationship with a lot of the guys in that band mm -hmm. and I, I just didn't want to be that guy who was going to sort of steal their thunder. So although a lot of people were in my ear telling me it was a done deal and by the way, not anybody in the actual band, but people very close to their business and people I know in the industry, I refrained from going public with it really just because, you know, I've, I've done a couple, I was really the only guy that did a couple things with Axel in the last few years. Right. Slash is a close friend, as is Duff. The other guys in the band I know really well, uh, Frank and Richard and, and all of them. So I didn't I didn't want to be that guy, you know, Dizzy. I, I, you know, I love Dizzy. So I didn't want to be that guy, and I wanted to just kind of let it play out organically how it was going to play out. And I, I didn't know what was real, and I still didn't. I didn't really 100% know what was going on. And the really funny story about all that is that, and I will never forget this, and to this day I forgot to ask him what it was really all about, but Slash and I text a lot, but rarely do we actually talk on the phone because, I mean, I do that with tons of people. You just, 
you know, it's, it's almost weird. I, I made a friend the other day, it's almost weird that the phone rings because you're like, whoa, the phone actually works as a phone, you know, because so many people are, you know, text everyone. I text my parents, I text everyone now. Sure. So um, I remember he called, I'll never forget it. It, it, it. I was driving somewhere and the phone rang and it was him. And I was like, this is weird because he never actually calls me. Or, you know, if we die here and there, yeah, but usually it's a text. So um, phone rings and it's him. And I answer and I go, hey, man, what's going on? You okay? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And I said, so what are you up to? He goes, oh, I'm just, and he really had nothing to say. And I just thought it was like the strangest call I ever had from him <laughs> back in the days when he was getting loaded. And uh, I, I said, and then I remember he said to me, I've never really told this story before. And then he said to me, um, he goes, because he, he will from time to time pick my brain about stuff going on out there and what I hear and you know, just sort of like, you know, getting, he doesn't stay over overly tuned in to what's going on in, in the world of other bands or what have you. So he said to me, uh, yeah, man, what are you... Uh, what are you hearing about all this stuff about guns and reuniting and all that? Huh. And I go, you're asking me? <laughs> and uh, he's like, well, yeah, man. He goes, because you got your ear to the ground. I mean, what are people saying? I mean, I, I don't know anything about this. And I go, really? I said, so you know nothing about it? He goes, no, man. He goes, I don't know what people are talking about. You know, I'm doing my thing. And I'm very close with his band, you know, the conspirators, sure. all those guys I'm really close with their great friends. And I, I said to him, uh, I, I don't know, man. I said, I'm just telling you it's out there and it's out there heavy. And he goes, yeah, I don't know. I'm really not sure where it's all coming from. And I'm just focused on the conspirator stuff. And I just, you know, I don't really know anything, man. I don't know what's going on with all this. I go, wow, that's real interesting. So you don't know nothing. He's like, no, man. He goes, I mean, you know, there's really just some, there's been some talk, but I don't know what's going on. And then I swear to you, like three days later, the reunion was announced. <laughs> so, so he, I, and to this day, and I keep forgetting, I just saw Slash. A, a month ago, because he was at the Alter Bridge show, I was at to see Miles, and I, I, uh, to this day, I keep forgetting to ask him what that was about. And I'm sure if I do, he's just going to give me like a smirk <laughs> and not say too much because you know I'm sure it was just him doing some misdirection and having some fun with me, and knowing that wow. since I'm so entrenched in that scene, that you know he was just kind of seeing what I was going to say and just like throwing out this direction. I mean, cause he had to know what was going on then. So it's just really funny. And that was the first, so there was that. And then it officially got announced and then I knew what was going on. And, and I did not go to the Troubadour, but I did go to the very first show in Vegas. Then uh, that relates to, as we were talking about Frank looking young and practicing and everything. And you said you'll practice no more than two hours a day. Right. Well, Guns N' Roses shows, are three hours, three and a half hours. So how hard is it for you? Here we go, Kristen's back. So how hard is it for you to go from the two hours or can you do the three? Is that is it that extra gear for a show? Well, well yeah, well, that's one of the reasons why I only practice, I, I try not to practice more than two hours because we play such long shows. Yeah. When we rehearse the band, or rehe the band rehearsals could be five hours, you know, if we're working on stuff, if, if they introduce a new song into the set, I mean, we could be at a rehearsal for five, six hours. I mean, we play, that's a lot of drumming, you know? So I, I try, I try not to burn myself out, but that's exact. That's the main reason why I, uh, 
Okay. The rehearsals are that much more. That's when you're like. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no. Rehearsals will be, you know, we do, you know, the shortest rehearsal will be four hours and like a long rehearsal will be six hours. Okay. I mean, playing. It's not not like, you know, just hanging out. I mean, we're playing, you know, we're working on stuff. If, if, uh, you know, like I said, they introduce a couple of songs to the set, hey, let's try this song. Or we haven't played this in a while, you know, before you, I mean, how does that part go? I mean, that happens at rehearsals. And, so rehearsals tend, tend to be really long. You know? What's the body right of songs? How many songs, if you go out on a, on a typical arena tour, how many songs would there be that you could pick from for a different set? I, I, I mean, I mean, 40 probably. Wow, it's unbelievable. Probably 40. I, would, I, I mean, I, I would sit, have to sit down and count, but I would imagine 40. Crazy. Who makes <laughs> I mean, the I mean, crazy. And we play like 27 of them. We play, we play almost all of them, you know? Yeah. Do you have yeah. any say in the set list, or it's kind of like here's the me set personally? List. I mean, yeah. um, I mean, uh, I, I don't know about what say say, but I mean, I can make suggestions. Hey, we haven't played this in a while, stuff like that. Yeah. But but I mean, it really comes down to like, um, um, you know, what the band is really comfortable doing. You know, on a certain night, it'll it'll you know, most of the nights, uh, we'll have a certain set of songs that we'll do every night. But then there'll be you know audibles. Hey, let's do this one tonight, or we're ready. Let's ready to do that one tonight. And if you're a fan, you know you can go through and see when we've played this song at this show, we played right. that song at that show. Usually those are audibles. Yeah. Maybe, do you maybe have like, a do you have a favorite right now, or does it change? What's I, um right? Well, I love you could be mine. I think it's the funnest drum rock and roll drum song I've ever played. Um, I love the drum parts. The Sorum drum parts are dope. Um, so that's always, I always get really up to play that. It's, it's punk rocky. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of has a um, ACDC feel, but at the same time, it has kind of like this punk rocky tribal thing at the beginning of it. So it's like I get to play all my favorite genres in one song. But I like Locomotive. You know, we've done Locomotive once or twice already. That's a great song to play. Um, Nokoma is a fun song to play. It's a long song to play. I got to save my energy for that one. We play that one live. That takes, that's a really, it's a, you know, that one takes a lot out of me to play. It's a great tune, you know. Um, sure. But I would say my favorite is definitely You Could Be Mine. If I can ask, and uh, I said this to you off the air, you can always plead the fifth. Right. You know, there's always like rumored set lists and everything that are out there. You never know if they're real or not or Photoshop. We've seen some alternate songs. Uh, like it did happen with Slither. We saw it on a leaked set list, and then it became in, it came in the set. So Slither happened. So well, I mean, and that's any- the point I was trying to make before was that you know there's there's a body of right there's like forty tunes, and any of those forty tunes could be played at a show. Not all forty, but any of those forty tunes could be played at a show. So so. Can I ask is, uh, what is the, the rumored hard school? Is that something that the band has practiced? Well, I think, I think um, I'll just wait till, you know, the band makes any kind of formal announcements when it comes to, to songs like that, that, that you know, um, any rumors, I'll just let the band make a formal announcement before I, I comment on it. Do you have your own theories as far as why it hasn't worked out, uh, at least for, for one show? Um. I kind of know, but I don't really want to talk about that because it's not my business to really talk about. Understood. Uh, I respect that. Yeah. But I will say this. I recently did a documentary for an English company called Honey Bee, and they're doing a documentary called Inside the Mind of Axl Rose. And 
I did an interview with them last week in the apartment that I lived in with them. Well, everybody but Duff at one point lived in that apartment. And um, it was really interesting to me. Like, a lot of stuff came up that I had completely forgotten. But, you know, they were, like, really fun guys back in the early days. And I don't know. I just remembered how much I loved Axel. And it, like, actually kind of broke me at one point. I started crying. Uh (laughs) But um, after three hours of rapid-fire questions, that happens to me. But, um, you know... Just being there, like, sort of brought it all back and the fun that we used to have living there and stuff. Um, I just hope they're still having fun with what they're doing, you know? Yeah. I I mean, the optics say yes, that they do. And it's the third, right now, it's the third highest uh, grossing tour of all time. So I guess, like you, you said, they can do whatever they want. It seems to be uh, working. So what else can we can, do? We have time to talk about everything else that we can expect from you, Vicky Hamilton, with everything. That you have. <laughs> Is there? Are you working on a movie in addition to a, a book? And what else? As in, a in, matter of fact, okay. <laughs> well, I'm talking to a lot of production companies, and I came very close to doing a deal with a major actor who had a production company, but in the end, it like fell apart. But. Um, I'm very hopeful that it will come together in the near future, either as a movie or television series. I'm taking meetings in all directions. Um, And I can see it both ways. I mean, I think if it's a real-life thing, it should be a movie. And if it's fictionalized, it should be a TV series. And, you know. Would it be based on on your life or a specific Um, band? Yeah. I mean, you know, probably my book. Okay. Um, or at least that would be the takeoff point. But a show like the 80s, I think, would be phenomenal. In my mind, I see it as sort of a spinal tap meets absolutely fabulous <laughs> with a little bit of um, the marvelous Miss Mabel thrown in, you know. Wow. It's like I was watching that a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, oh, my God, you know, this is kind of like the comedy version of what I do. Wow, <laughs> so, Okay. So I think it could be really fun. You know, it really depends on the writers. Like, I'm not a TV writer, but, you know, I've I've had one TV writer do a Bible and a series, you know, a first episode and a breakdown, and um, it could be really good. Wow. No, no, I, I hope so. I think it, it absolutely would be. Uh, it would be really good. And, you know, you were... Uh, if you follow Vicky on social media, you are very opinionated about the dirt, and that took forever to come out. And you know, just take your time, and it, it, it's you know when it would be right. But the fact that you know that idea is floating around, and you and Lee are working on the book, and you're working with all these young and, uh, and upcoming bands, you know, you're you're a busy gal. So I really, again, appreciate you taking the time to speak with me again and coming back on the show. Oh, no problem. It's always a pleasure. I I brought it up to to Ernie C from Body Count because I love how outspoken he is, and of course Ice T, Ice T for president, he mm-hmm. is the coolest guy, and I just love following him on Twitter. So obviously they've been, I mean, since they started Body Count, this is what they've been talking about. There goes the neighborhood, and mm-hmm. I mean these are it's it's amazing all these bands like Rage Against the Machine or Public Enemy that's been talking about this for so long, it's still happening. Right. So I asked Ernie C about it because Body Count did some shows with them. And One in a Million was out by that time. And they were getting slack from Living Color. And Ernie, he said, 
yeah, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, of course, but he's like, Axel is not that dude. Meaning that he's not, he never treated me different. You know, he treated me like, you know, he was, he had nothing but wonderful experiences with him. He's like, mm-hmm. it's just lyrics, certain lyrics, you know, you have to try to get across a certain point. He didn't seem to be offended by it. And even if he was, was or wasn't, that's, that's his point of view. I just mm-hmm. wanted to hear it. I was curious. Right. So I, I asked you, when I first reached out to you to do this episode, uh, I asked you the same thing because I just wanted to have an organic conversation to see what comes of it And because you, you asked me for specific questions, which I usually – sometimes I have, sometimes I don't. But yeah. one in a million seems to be the most obvious thing to talk about. Uh, so did you have – that song was obviously already out by the time you – when you were touring with them. Uh, I guess your your introduction to that song, what you think about it, I, I guess um, – yeah, I would, I would want to know your point of view on the GNR song, One in a Million. Okay, well, first of all, I have to say that, you know, I think that I, I'm glad that you, you want to speak about this because it's a really uncomfortable subject for, I guess, anybody associated with GNR and um, including the bandmates and also, you know, I don't, I'm, I don't remember talking to Tracy about it, but I think at the time we both kind of agreed because I don't know. I think she was more of a GNR fan than I was because I, I mean, I had seen like Welcome to the Jungle on MTV and stuff like that, um, but I wasn't like a fan, you know, and I, and I, I got called to do the gig. Um, I was like, yeah, okay. You know, I had, I had already done, I was getting off with a tour with Cinderella and I was like, yeah, let me go on the road with them, you know? And from what I learned hanging out with Slash and didn't get any racist vibe or anything, um, I think it's, it's really important to talk about this because it's so controversial. And at the time I didn't, maybe it was my ignorance or my, I was so young and, you know, I was just like, Oh, rock and roll. You know, I just, I, I, and because I didn't know the song, you know, I wasn't really introduced to the song. I had heard fans or non fans say, aren't they racist? And I'm like, no, but, and, and people would say, how about that song? And be like, what song, (laughs) you know? So that's my bad, you know, it's like, that is my mistake and my ignorance of not researching you know, the band before I started working for them. Um, However, you know, at the time, I think, you know, I probably had the same reaction that you did where I thought he was, Axel was speaking from the point of view of racist America. Right. And that's how, you know, middle America, racist America, whatever, thinks. And, And he was just thinking out loud, you know, and and especially because I never got a, a personally a racist vibe from Axel. He was always super, not only like super sweet and kind to me, but he was very respectful. Like, you know, he wasn't like the other guys where the other guys would cuss in front of us and be vulgar and, you know, just be rock and roll, you know? And Axel was really like, he would never cuss in front of me. He would always address me properly. He was... Hmm very, very sweet to me. And so that being said, you know, I was, I, I guess I, I couldn't let myself believe that those lyrics meant that he thought I was a nigger. 
I almost said it. That <laughs> 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 he thought I was what he said in the in the in the lyrics, you know, the N-word. And uh speaking of like Gene R and I brought up Ron Young before. Um we were talking about it and he has like again, he has a great voice and he was I just said, how come I was asking him like who do you know anybody else who auditioned for the gig? Just like kind of like a fun conversation, play what if, you know, and he he wasn't sure, but he said that Slash said to him he was really happy with it and Gilby actually told me he pushed for Ron, but Ron's version is that Slash wanted to play uh, Guns N' Roses songs with Snake Pit, and he felt that you had a better voice for that. But that never really happened. So was there uh, – this is coming from um, a question I'll give him credit, uh, B- uh, BD from Greece. Was there ever really any consideration to play Guns N' Roses songs? I, that – we did, we never um, – we did, we did touch on some Guns N' Roses but I never, not really with any of the Axel bits, you know. Well, I just felt, I think that Slash felt too, that, I mean, he was definitely in a, in a headspace where he wanted to uh, establish his independence as an artist in his own right, too, you know what I mean? Sure. Um, so we kind of were just thinking about who has the goods to deliver it on stage. You know, I think that's probably his focus too like you know just can you can you perform the songs and and sing it properly you know um so really there we didn't uh, we didn't really we did some stone songs and things on a live acoustic you know when we were doing radio promotion and and all that prior to the release and you know some those some great moments as well uh it was a fun time. I've had uh, Rod Jackson on the show a couple of times, and I I love that record as well, and that record is also well-received. But people still I – mean, and pardon me if you've answered this before, and I'll give this credit this question uh, credit to Leonardo um, on, on Facebook. How come the – I guess the band split up after that first record and you weren't involved in, this, in Snake Pit 2? Uh, that was strictly uh... – you know, a contract, uh, contract stuff because uh, I was signed to Sony uh, shortly around the time all that was happening. So I had to deliver a, a record, which I did with Roger Manning uh, Jr. in the, the uh, Imperial Drag record. So that, that was already kind of signed and inked going in. So, I mean, we didn't have a lot of expectations for carrying this on way too long. I mean, the future was kind of wide open as well. Oh, okay. Um, nobody knew what the hell was going to happen with Guns N' Roses. And, well, I couldn't answer it. <laughs> it was too uncertain, and, and you had a deal. Yeah. So that makes that makes complete sense. Um, yeah, that's it. How come there's, there's no live album? You know, because, again, people are, are revisit these albums all the time, and, you know, it's it's... Again, regarded as uh, you know, one of the better not GNR records in that family. Uh, so we we want more, even though there may not be. Well, I guess the first question is: Was there anything left on the cutting room floor that might see the light of day? And how come no live album as well? Uh, the live album you would have to ask Slash about. He probably has tapes. Maybe I don't know actually. Okay. Um, 
on that, that's kind of a technical question that I never really uh, knew to ask about at that point. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm always open to slash that, hey, you want to sing on a song or something? I'd be down for it, of course. But um, were you approached as, as far as his first solo album where he had all those uh, different singers like Ozzy, Adam Levine, uh, and even Velvet Revolver, were you approached uh, again since you obviously had so much chemistry with to get together? Uh, no, I wasn't. Um, I don't remember what exactly was going on at that time, but I could have been doing some other uh, projects or whatnot. Um, but uh, yeah, I remember that. What was going through your mind? Like, were you kind of worried about your, your friends and your, I don't know if he was your boyfriend at the time or, or husband at the time, but... That's got to be crazy. Like, I could have been there. And you see, like, a military coup going to the country. It must have been, I don't know. That, that seems like an otherworldly. You know, being on tour with Guns N' Roses was always kind of an epic, crazy adventure. Like, I remember it didn't, it didn't scare me. It didn't shock me. It was kind of normal, actually, by that point, because, um, we were backstage a lot of times when Axel was late getting to the venue and they were telling us if a riot breaks out, this is where you run to. And this is where the cars are. Have your stuff packed, be prepared, you know, for, you know, craziness, you know? So always kind of like that. Hmm? How often would that happen? Every show, they would say, be, pre be prepared for a riot? Not every show, but I, I can remember at least four or five times vividly. Mm -hmm. Do you know, uh, was there ever like a specific, I guess, for what you remember, or if you feel like it sharing that he, why he was late during that, that time? Well, period? actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember now. So, so um, it only happened like four or five times in the beginning because the head of our um of the crew sat down with axel and explained to him, explained to him what happens when he's late and once he realized that axel's really they're all gentlemen actually every single guy in the band is an astute gentleman i've heard they're wild like they're wild you know but they're rock and roll but they're gentlemen and so when axel realized you know, what his t lateness was causing, he wasn't late anymore, you know, but he was bas basically what I would say was cause, would cause it is different things, a variety of different things, you know, he was doing something, catching the jet and flying in and for whatever reasons it was late, you know, all kinds of different things, all different reasons, but, you know, there's often rock stars are divas, <laughs> <laughs> it was a picture of you uh slash uh miles kennedy and mark tremonti and i guess i i want to ask you because as i mentioned earlier uh i talk about mental health and addiction a, a lot and talked about slash and talked about Dolph and steven adler so i guess i'm just curious what uh experiences you may have uh, those worlds colliding have you crossed worlds at all with uh with guns and roses or maybe Velvet revolver at the time i crossed paths with uh Flash years ago at the Sunset Marquee in L.A. Uh, back in probably the first time I crossed paths with him. 
uh, in probably 1998-ish. Um, and, uh, and then across, I'm sure, uh, I can't remember every situation, but bumped into him here or there in passing. And, and then, of course, the photo that, that you saw. But always just a, hey, how are you? That's it. You know, nothing beyond that. Uh, you know, but, uh, you know, he's a, a musical icon. He's, he's, he's a legend uh, and uh, have much respect and admiration for the work that he's done and the, the legacy that, that he uh, has left in music. And, uh, you know, big fan of Guns N' Roses, man. Right on. I guess because I, I was hoping that, because I've said for a long time to my, my listeners that if Velvet Revolver was, because they tried finding a new lead singer, um, well, before Scott passed, but when he was fired, and I always thought you would have been a perfect fit. So there was part of me hoping that that was a secret somewhere, that you would have been uh, thought of as a, a new lead singer for Velvet Revolver. But I guess only in my dreams that uh, that happens. <laughs> interesting. That's an interesting, uh, that's an interesting thought. All right. Well, uh, I'll let you think about it. Maybe who knows in the future? Everyone's bored right now. Maybe you'll you'll do something to, together. Who knows? Again, that'll probably just be a dream of mine. Um, Scott, just thank you so much. I know you have a lot to to get to today. Is there anything that you want to leave us with as far as what we could look forward to? Whether it's another single release? Um, I mean, I know you mentioned uh, some of the the Zoom shows or the Facebook Live shows. But is there anything specific that you want to perhaps get us exci- excited about? Yeah, I I I think. Uh... Uh, let me let me backtrack a little bit. I'm definitely focused on world I used to know right now, uh, and just getting the word out uh, with that track. It's it's a track that that uh, I had uh, always intended on releasing. It just felt like the time was now, uh, and so I'm excited to share that uh, with the fans um, and and with those who may not know uh, of my solo music, uh, and so. Uh, that's exciting, and and then I'm creating new music, um, and so uh, you know I'm I'm excited that when that comes fully into fruition, uh, I can I can share that uh, right uh, with the rock community, and and uh, and and then you know for those that are still at home or or, or didn't see, I, I did uh, an acoustic show uh, online and and played some really heavy tunes, man, acoustic. Um, and, uh, so you can find that on my Facebook page, uh, on my Instagram page, uh, and uh, we'll make sure to get you, uh, the exact, uh, locations and, and links, uh, for that. Cause, uh, for those, uh, folks out there that, that like to hear heavy riff driven tunes played acoustic, but with that same energy, uh, I think it's right up their alley, man. And I got this um, this question. I'm not sure if you addressed it in, in the book. Uh, this is from Nicholas uh, Florentine because you shared a bill with Slash and and in uh, Guns N' Roses and Rock and Rio Two back in 1991. And now there's a rumor. There was a rumor, maybe a small controversy if you want to call it that. That Axel didn't allow you to enter the stage with your your motorcycle. Is that true, or is this person is is Nicholas just making that up? Well. It's one of these kind of urban legend myths that I, I do remember vividly on the day that, that I was told that I wasn't able to use the bike. And I said, well, he's playing that, you know, and I said, it's Axel. And I said, well, that's pretty, you know, man, if, if that's true, that, 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 that's not what the role, you know. As the day was progressing, uh, and we were trying to figure out 
know what was going to happen because the bike has always been part of the of of cruise show. Um, the word got back that yeah, it, it's um, it's called Beauty is the bike, and then a little bit further along, I found out that that Axel had never said, "Hey, you can't Rob can't use the bike." It's come through some other channel, mm. and you know, never quite figured out the, the, the truth of that. I've never met Axel in my life. I would like to, and I'm sure I will at some point, because again, he's someone that has tremendous admiration and respect for as a, as a great singer songwriter, so he's incredibly powerful, charismatic frontman. And um, so there you go. It's rock and roll is full of these kind of uh, almost good faith stories. But um, at the end, at the end of the, the, the story is that, of course, I did use the bike, and we had a great, great show. Rocking Rio um, with Guns N' Roses, and, and that's become kind of a bit of rock and roll history right there. See, that's fascinating, and that's exactly why we need your point of view, why you need to confess to set the record straight for so many of di- these different stories. And then that's just one of these rock and roll stories that gets twisted that perhaps didn't come from the source. So that that's 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 fascinating. Now, I know you didn't spend time in the album, but just, I, I don't know what you may know about this situation, but uh, obviously Gilby Clark famously re-recorded uh, Izzy's parts. Yes. And as I look at it like this, and it's kind of like it was the approach with Chinese democracy, I like that you're incorporating the band that you have now, and they're not just a touring musician. Yeah. I like that they're involved in the recording, even though if it's re-recording or whatever. Uh, so when Gilby re-recorded Izzy's guitar parts, do you, how did that go over with the, the rest of the band? Is there a sense that you use it? You feel any sort of friction start to begin there, or? No, well, not really, because everybody really liked Gilby, um, particularly Slash and Duff. I mean, they loved Gilby, um, and so no, I don't think there was any pushback at all. Um, it was kind of like I mean, I think everybody felt like, uh, and I, you know, nobody's ever said this to me, but. Uh, the sense that I got was that everybody was kind of, uh, their feelings were hurt that Izzy just failed. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of without warning, really. He just failed. Um, I mean, I guess you could see the writing on the wall if you really look close enough. But, um, yeah, because he was traveling on his own. And, and, and we all thought that that was just to maintain a sobriety. Um, but okay. uh, it didn't surprise me when the directive came that uh, he wasn't going to be on the record and Gilby's parts were going to be there. I don't think, I don't think anybody was uh, alarmed or, or uh, upset about that call at all. Okay. No, that, that, that's cool. And I mean, it's, Gilby seems to be friends with all of them. So that relationship has obviously uh, continued. The Simpsons, I think, are slightly younger than I am. So it's always been in my, consciousness i always feel like i've learned most things that i didn't learn in school i've learned from the simpsons or from even from spinal tap so i want to ask because i know I, I don't have you here for for too much longer with spinal tap which obviously it's still i can't believe how relevant it still is today it's not even just mm-hmm. with rock but it can be uh, the parallels are uh infinite so there was a because this is a GNR theme, Guns N' Roses themed podcast to kind of make it different than just a rock or a talk podcast. Uh, there was a an excerpt in Slash's book that one time Axel was so late uh, he decided to watch the entire Spinal Tap movie. Slash did, 
And then when the <laughs> show finally happened, uh, he was so depressed because he didn't, he couldn't realize how much Guns N' Roses is related to Spinal Tap. Have you heard that mm. story, or have you heard that from other bands oh, as well? I've heard that story, but you know, you talk about not just uh, uh, being relevant to rock. I've had classical musicians come up to me and say they they take the video or the DVD or whatever form it's on on the bus when they're traveling because it relates to their their life too. You know, it's it's really the life and music uh, the particular form the music takes doesn't seem to you know. I've had country artists tell me that as well mm. down in Nashville, where they all live, apparently. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think we, we, we hit something. Because, and I think the reason was because we were, we were obviously trying to make a funny movie, but we were trying to make a movie that was true. We were trying to make a movie that, that sort of just collapsed all the funny things we'd ever heard about life on the road or that we'd experienced ourselves and just took out the boring parts as opposed to making stuff, you know, making just stuff out of, uh, you know, oh, wouldn't it be funny if they, you know, stepped on a cat? Um, <laughs> right. You know, just real stuff. And I think the reality of it is what makes it relatable to people in, in fields of music far far from heavy metal or hard rock. That's why, for me, I, I put up the Mighty Wind the, the same way, and that's why I relate to so much of the, the, the Simpsons. It's not just a cartoon to me. It's... It's it's obviously there are the very silly parts, but so much of it is so relatable. So a couple of quick uh, questions before I, I let you go. Uh, uh-huh. Is it true that Otto was based on Slash, or I guess the 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 drawings? I want to know. I guess the Gene oh, references. No what the drawings were based on because okay. I, the voices and the, the the visual people never never meet. Uh, but no, the the voice wasn't. No. Okay. Uh, is there an inspiration you get for Otto's voice? No, just sort of a, a, a you know, a, a, a talker that I may have run into along the way somewhere. Okay. <laughs> and do you know which came first, uh, Duff Beer or Duff McKagan? I have no idea. Okay. All right. I think that that's... You have, you have, you have stumped the guest. <laughs> and one, because uh, I, I have one more, uh, and you don't have to say it, because there was a story that came out years ago when Spinal Tap played... Uh, Wembley Stadium for uh, the Freddie Mercury tribute concert, and mm-hmm. somebody in GNR played a trick by pulling. I don't know if it was your amp out or uh, yeah, Nigel. Nit- it was Nigel. And, yeah. you, and you don't have to say it now, but do you know who may or may not have done that? Our keyboard player knows. Okay, <laughs> okay, he'll be next on my guest list then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, 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 I don't want to pass on a room. To me, it's a rumor. Okay, I, I understood. Know. I know Slash is a huge pinball nut, that he has a lot in his house. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, and I forget the guy's name, like Slash like, is, has his own personal pinball guy. Mm-hmm. And I, you probably know, I'm sure you know who he is. I do, yeah. And I reached out to him, and I think maybe he was weirded out. He's like, why does somebody want to interview me? I'm just a pinball guy. And I'm like, I'm his not going to ask you. His name is Pat Choi. That's it. Yeah, Pat. I, I, I'm yeah. like, I'm not going to ask you blueprints about Slash's house. Like, I just want to... Right. Like I'm talking to you, so now is was it Slash who uh, or was it Pat? Like who's the one that was the, the catalyst? Uh, so like? Jack Guinari, um and Slash actually go back quite a few years. Um, Jack was one of the first people to ever sell pinball machines online. He started a company back in the '90s called PinballSales.com, and through that company, he had many, many high-profile clients. One of those clients was Slash. And so they had a good relationship. He, you know, sold Slash a couple games 
and and slash came to play in New York or Jersey, you know, Jack would go and meet him and hang out with him and, you know, be able to talk pinball. Um, obviously slash is one of the biggest superstars in the world. And most people have a hard time, you know, treating him like one of the guys, mm. you know, cause he's slash. But when it comes to pinball, like slash is one of the guys, he'll, he'll, he just wants to play the game and hang out. So that's, I think what helped him and Jack form such a great relationship. And Slash, um, in, I think, 2017, 2015, something like that. Um, he's, he's told the story a couple times now. He was at the airport waiting to get on a flight, and he was standing in, like, the vestibule or the, the um, uh, United room or whatever it was, or he was just standing somewhere where he was quiet, and he called Jack, and he's like, Jack, we got to make a new game together. We have to make a not this lifetime tour themed game. And here's all the stuff that I want to see. And he started listing off all these different things, you know, like the, mm. all the concert footage and us on stage and, and the big features for me and for, for Axel and for Duff. And it's got to have all this stuff. And Jack's just like, well, that sounds pretty cool. Slash, let me uh, talk to the guys and see what we can work out. Um, and then a couple of weeks later, you know, they got back together and said, this is definitely something we want to do. Let me introduce you to Eric Meunier, and he is going to be the game designer. And you guys, you know, shoot it around and talk about your ideas and concepts and what you have going on. And so Slash came to that meeting, I'm not joking, with a portfolio of ideas. He had hand-drawn play fields. He had ideas for mechanisms. He had artwork concepts. He is a pinball designer. You know, wow. so that's why I'm credited, Slash and I are credited as co-designers on this game. Okay. You know, I, I'm the one who did the math and, you know, the mechanism design and making the layout and stuff work like that. But Slash was with me every step of the way. I'm not exaggerating. Literally every day during the design concepts of this game, Slash and I were texting back and forth, um, you know, going through ideas, going through art concepts. And he was just all in all the time. And then I would text him, like, hey, I have a question about you know, how we should do X, Y, and Z. And he would Facebook chat me or, sorry, not Facebook, he would like Zoom with me. And I'm like, oh, where are you at, dude? Because it's, and he's just like, yeah, I'm in New Zealand. It's 4 a.m. He's like laying in his hotel room, you know. He's just like, yeah, we just finished up the show, but what do you got going? I'm like, uh, sure, let's go into this. You know, because time was just irrelevant to him when it came to talking pinball. He just wanted to be a part of it. That's something else too. And it shows the level of his intelligence. Obviously, you know, you're saying you're doing the math uh, portion of it, but for him to go to you and have these layouts, have these designs, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've experienced that necessarily with maybe other celebrities who come to you for gaming, but I got to imagine in other fields, like if a celebrity is going into a specific field that they may not know about, you know, if, if it's architecture or something, they, they're drawing circles, they're drawing, uh, you know, something that may not be professional standard. But it seems like he impressed you with this professional standard. Like if you were going to work with another professional designer, yeah, right? Like he, he, was, uh, he absolutely did everything right. I mean, he's one of the few people, even in the pinball industry, who I felt comfortable explaining an idea to and felt like he understood it. You know, most people, when they come up to a new pinball machine that doesn't have any art on it, 
Right. Okay, it's called it's called a white wood. It's just a piece of plywood that has some lights and some ramps. And I would explain to him like, like here's the concept of what this is supposed to do, what that's supposed to do. You know, this shot goes around. And he's one of the few people I've ever met who's just Eric. I understand what you're doing, and I can see it, and I understand the vision. And then he provide feedback. He's like, what if we did, you know, this, and we had the, you know, collecting the band member on this shot because it's a drumstick ramp, you know, and that's where we should collect Frank. And he would just come at us with, with ideas that built off of what I did. And it was just a great, great relationship. Mm. Just uh, a fast, I'm always continuously impressed with the slash. Just like, he's just not that he's more than just a guitar player with the top hat. He's always doing something. Absolutely. Something else. I did so, not expect him to be um, the way he was. Right? I mean, a superstar of his status, you just expect a certain personality. And I couldn't have been more wrong. Slash was the most down-to-earth, cool, understanding guy um, when he came into the office. He's been here a couple times now um, before COVID. Like, I say that he introduced himself, but obviously he doesn't need to introduce himself. Right. But he shook hands with every single member of the team and like had a conversation one-on-one with every team member. Like, okay, what do you do? I'm a mechanical engineer. Okay, what does that actually mean? You know, how, how are you involved in the game? And oh, you're a programmer. What part of the programming are you doing? And you're the artist. Oh, I love that. I love what you did with, with my likeness here. And that's what it's like. Just talk down to earth completely. Had dinner with us all. And was just telling us stories about him with Miles Kennedy and, you know, hanging out with um, GNR, getting back on the road and that sort of stuff. He was cool, down to earth, no level of arrogance, no level of superiority. You know, he was just one of the guys. And it was fantastic. Uh, this is a, a, a fun, I guess, story. Maybe you can um, elaborate on it. This is from my my buddy, uh, former. He used to work in Nikki Six's show, and he's he's like, uh, it's so funny. He he works for iHeart, but out in Los Angeles, so I never see him. I don't know him, and he just happened to find my podcast one day. We've become oh, we're coworkers now. We're friends. Uh, so this is from uh, from Mike. He says, fun fact, I was actually at Gilby's first show, December 5th, 1991, at the Worcester Centrum. He told me and the— Oh, right on. Yeah, so he said because he worked in radio. He told me and the others uh. at the at that lunch, because I guess this was with his old boss at Universal Music, so for some context. Uh, during the that first show, during a solo, Slashes, you ducked backstage and puked. Axel came back, saw That's him— That's not true. Okay, so— I, I don't know why this guy is telling me a story that didn't happen because he's like Axel came back, so I'm yeah. puking, and are you okay? So that that n- did not happen. No, no. Okay. But Axel did visit me uh, during the show, and it was during Slash's solo. It came back to you know every, every all the guys. You know, it was my first show. Go, hey man, are you okay? When they we had a break or a moment like Duff, you know, Duff and I were next to each other, but you know everybody's going, hey man, are you okay? Everything going well. And when Axel came to check on me, I was eating a pizza, <laughs> literally e- eating a pizza. And, and he's going, hey, man, are you okay? Everything all right? I go, I go, yeah. I go, I'm just hungry. I go, I didn't realize how long the show was. <laughs> that's really, that's a better story. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. I mean, I've told it before, you know. It, it, okay. It, yeah, I'm, anybody knows me, I don't puke before or after shows. I'm not a nervous person. Okay, because, again, I was surprised and... 
Uh, I, I guess I would rather ask, you know. You I'm think... not saying somebody wasn't puking. It just wasn't me. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. We'll leave it at, at that. Uh, this is from B. Garba uh, on, on Twitter. Ask him why he always uh, played wild horses and Axel presenting him as the man with the new Corvette. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, so that's kind of interesting because at the very first show, uh, I didn't expect to have a, a solo spot. Like, a, you know, like, hey, ladies and gentlemen, Gilby Clark, you know, where before it was, ladies and gentlemen, Izzy Stradlin. And, uh, you know, Slash is the lead guitar player. I'm not going to sit up there and doodle away when Slash is doodling away. It's just stupid, you know. So they came up to me before the first show. They go, hey, what are you going to do for your solo part? And I was like, solo part? What are you talking about? I'm not going to sit there and do a solo before Slash does one. That's, you know, it ain't going to happen. <laughs> And so he goes, well, Izzy used to do, uh, I, I forgot what they told me. They said Izzy used to do something like a Stones kind of thing. And that's why I went, oh, well, why don't I do Wild Horses? I go, I'll just, just, just leave me by myself and I'll do like a Wild Horses and maybe I'll sing a little or something and I'll make it kind of, you know, kind of cool. Well, when I started doing it, Slash started doodling with me. And what you saw through those years is it developing, but it all developed live. We never sat down and said, hey, it's going to go like this. That literally happened at the first show. That's awesome. Of me playing Wild Horses and Slash walking up behind me doodling. That's and, rock and, and that's roll. what happened. And exactly. I mean, it was very natural. I mean, if anybody really knew the ins and outs of GNR during that time, you know, there wasn't a lot of pre-thought into anything. <laughs> Stuff just happened. <laughs> Fair enough. But uh, yeah. the, the, man with the, the man with the new Corvette thing was funny because, uh, it, and this story is out there too, but the, the truth is uh, – the band, the Tokyo shows, we did three shows, and the band made a lot of money in merchandise. So, you know, like after the first or second show, it was, you know, hey, man, we made so much money. Oh, my God. And then guys are, you know, excited about that. And and, and I was just like, I, I didn't get merchandise. That wasn't part of my deal. And I was like, oh, well, enjoy it. And uh, I, I go, I hope I get a new car out of it or whatever. And Duff ended up buying me, uh, uh, actually gave me his Corvette. But it was a, it didn't just give it to me. I traded him a shirt for it. There was, he used to have this black shirt I wore back in the day. And, uh, and Duff used to steal it from me. Like even before I can go wear it, he was wearing it. And, uh, and so we actually traded the shirt for his uh, vet that he had at that time. So, I mean, cause you've obviously had a lot of, you, you've worked with so many different artists over the years, you know, collaborating. Um, so I guess one question is, cause I was just looking this up. Someone sent me a video uh, Roadhouse Blues that you did with Scott Weiland. So I, I, if you can remember, this was, I think, I believe in uh, 2000. So I'm just curious, do you remember, unfortunately, another lead singer who left us too soon, uh, what it was yeah. like What it was like playing with Scott? Uh, that was great. Um, in fact, it, it was his whole band uh, was, right. was there. And they, uh, they played on this, uh, it was like a Doors tribute band. Uh, or maybe you're thinking of the TV show. The um, storyteller. This was the House of Blues, L.A. that I'm looking at. And uh, it, oh, it, House of Yeah, it was okay, with Stone yeah. Temple Pilots. It was with the whole band. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, that was amazing. I mean, he was a big Doors fan, and he he uh, he played on a on quite a few of our little. You know, like I said, he he did the TV show Storytellers with us, and. Um, and I, I I sat in with those guys at, at a couple of uh, uh, concerts uh, 
where was it? Bonnaroo, I think. And uh, that's a cool guy. You know, and, I, and my friend Robert DeLeo is a bass player for Stone Temple Pilots. has done a lot of stuff with us, too. Yeah. Uh, so I, I love that. That, that yeah, I, I mean, obviously. So you get, it's great that when you, you, you love these, I mean, I look at them as bands I grew up with, technically. Um, but they, they, they're fans of yours. These big rock stars are fans of yours. So what I love on, on this, re, uh, this reissue of Morrison Hotel, we're hearing these uh, cover versions of, of music that you love. So go, going back even further. So can you, can you talk to me a little bit about B.B. Uh, King? Because you guys covered, you jammed on Rock Me. And he's another one of the, right. just the greats. I, I did get a chance to see B.B. thankfully before he passed away. Good, yeah, yeah, he's great. Well, you know, Ray Manzarek grew up in Chicago, so he used to go see Muddy and Howlin' Wolf and all those guys, uh, you know, quite often. And uh, one, one time he, he asked uh, to sit in. I think it was with Muddy, but he didn't, he didn't get the job. <laughs> At least he asked. Um, and, and then uh, I remember one time we were in Chicago and, and Ray took us all to see... Uh, Howlin' Wolf, and boy, that was amazing! Wow, wow. Um, is there because I, I still obviously we we want to focus. We can go so many different ways, and I know we're short on on time. Is there a favorite song that you wrote that's on more um, uh, Morrison Hotel? You know, is it Peace Frog? Um, is it you know like what what uh what's your favorite, or does it change? Has it changed throughout over uh, over the years? Yeah, actually, on on this album, I didn't write any of the words. It's all Jim Morrison's words, but uh, I wrote a lot of the music. And Peace Frog is probably my favorite uh, one. You know, I, I had the music for that all done, and and I couldn't think of any words. And I asked Jim, you know, to write some words for it, and, and he wasn't coming up with anything. So finally, uh, he looked in his uh, in his book his notes that he always kept with him, you know. Uh, a lot of stuff was way early, like he wrote even in high school and stuff. Mm. And uh, he found this uh, poem called Abortion Stories. And uh, if you listen to the words uh, uh, Peace Frog, uh, you can tell it's about an abortion, you know, blood in the streets uh, in the town of Chicago and she came, uh, you know. You wouldn't think when you first heard it that it was about an abortion, but uh, but so anyway, we you know we obviously we couldn't call it abortion stories. I guess we could have, but it would be kind of weird. So he <laughs> came up with somehow peace with nothing to do with the song. You know? <laughs> wow, but I love it. So let me ask you, and you, <laughs> and you don't have to, and I know you've been you know sure. so you're so honest and nice, but you, I always give all my guests like if you don't want to answer it, say pass. Because sure. you're, you're touching on what is sensitive to uh, a theme for my my listeners, and that's you know Guns N' Roses not putting out new music, and and we don't uh-huh. and you're updating fans. You know we want to get updates from Axel or you know well Slash and Duff do new stuff. The the, the details about Gene are very few and far in between. So uh-huh. I guess your your thoughts on because you've also dealt with uh, rat naming problems. Uh, we don't have to get into mm-hmm. specifics uh, there. So, how do you f- feel, or what have you thought over the years about when it was Guns N' Roses, Axel, and whether it's Buckethead or Robin Fink, but it wasn't the classic lineup? 
the one, the one that you met. And then now they can tour, you know, it's the fourth uh, most successful tour of all time, a band that you, yeah. you know, you were along with and they're not putting out new music. You give a thought on that. Again, you could say pass. Well, I can want. answer that. <laughs> okay. I can answer that. Yeah. Well, some people are lazy. Number one. Okay. Musicians. They want to live off their, their, their laurels, their past successes or whatever. That's all fine and dandy. That's their trip. I live a whole another world. No better, no worse. No more successful or sucking. Uh, so we'll put that out there. But, you know, I find bands that don't want to do that, just, I don't know, not inspiring to even their own selves or, or their audience. And because I know a lot of bands and, and people, they just don't think it's important. Like my bass player is not breaking down any, you know, walls trying to get music out with me for rat. And I can say it because I'm the one that's uh, having to end up doing a solo record and the songs sound like rat because I know people want to hear new music. And I happen to be the singer guy. And, and, but you literally can just be a jukebox is what you're saying. Right. Just going through the motions and the people still want to, you know, I want more than that. When when you reform, yeah. when you got back with Rat, yeah, the legacy yeah. was great, but we yeah, want to hear... The, the, name, the people in the band does, don't matter after a while. It's just a marquee. It's a proven fact, okay, unless you're a lead singer guy going out there or an Ed Van Halen guitar player or a Buckethead who's amazing. I love him. Mm. And... Uh, all those guys are great. I mean, there's so many great players. But, I mean, look, um, in our band right now, Rat, hey, look, I'm honest. You have two original guys. And uh, at one time you had three. At one time you had five. You had four. Uh, now it's down to two. People just want to hear the songs, mm. you know. They just want to hear the songs. That's all they want to do and maybe see some commotion up there or something, you know. Uh, what they hear about you, or well, if he falls off the stage, you know, uh, <laughs> living up you know to a think? certain uh, aura, or uh, just living up to your your persona, yeah. you know, just trying to like, oh, is he going to be late, or is he going to, you know, act, you know, is he going to show up drunk or something like that? Just trying to, look. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, that's inter- you're right. That is an interesting uh, subject, but I, I just think it. Look, it's, it's not holding you back. A lot of people. Like you said, you, you said you'd hit the nail on the head when you said Geico commercial. People are discovering us from the Geico commercial. They don't know that the guy's playing in the band. And I'm being honest here. It's my band, you know. Uh, they don't know it's no Robin. That's not Robin or Bobby or Drummer or, or you know, Warren. They don't know. You know, unless yeah. they're a real mega fan and they want to go, they'll take it as they get it. And there's a lot of people who are like that. They could give a shit if there's one guy or two guys, but they're hoping the singer's the same, you know? Right. Unless you're an iconic guitar player guy like a Warren Martini or a Ed or a, you know, Slash or whoever. Then it's okay. You're accepted. You know, it's acceptable. But, you know, on on the other... uh, the other end, I think people, you know, I don't know about some other, I can just speak for myself. You know, I like being updated. I'd like to show that there's still some music out there, you know, that yeah. you can still create and people will like it. It doesn't have, 
I, I could give a shit if my records, you know, sell a hundred or a hundred million, as long as it does something for me. And at the end of the day, somebody else likes it. You know, I've had the, you know, it's great having the success with music and this and that, but it, eventually some people, it's a little different. That's not what just matters. You know, to me, that's not all that matters is, you know, uh, I like to keep creating. I like to let people know there's more there, you know, uh, yes, there's more music in us, you know, but when I can't do it with my band, the rat, I just go do it on my own. And I'm very comfortable with that, you know, but I get what you, I get what you're saying, you know, but when you're around that long, like a GNR now, or you're a rat or Motley's, you know, you can just play your catalog and people will love it. Why the need to go into the studio and try to perfect or beat the best record? We never go into a, a recording or record going, we're going to, you know, sell 50 million this time. You just do the best you can, mm. you know, and that's all you can do. I think it's and inspiring what, what you're talking uh -huh. about. It's, I think it's inspiring because you're somebody that, and, and the commercial is, is showing it, you know, it, you can rest on your laurels if you want to. You know, you can yeah. you can just tour on that if you want to. But you, as a mm. songwriter, as a guitar player, you're like, okay, that's cool. I, I'm not sure. I'm not ashamed of, uh, you know, the the person, you know, the girl that I took to the dance. I'm not ashamed of that. But yeah. I'm I'm moving I'm moving forward. I'm experimenting. I'm still putting out my my voice and uh, my feelings out there. And if you like it, great. 100%. If you don't, okay. You know what I mean? I, I, hey, that's it. And then, you know, I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one, but there are far and few because I see it. A lot of people don't. I mean, I, you know, when, when you got these other, uh, uh, put it this way, there's, a, you know, you get into the hair metal, you call it. If you're going to categorize it, those kind of bands, uh, there's still a, a, a handful of them that are still creating. Tom Kiefer will put out a record. Yeah, with Cinderella, it's been on the But show. it ends up being solo. But it's a Cinderella fucking record. His friend Troy's a real good friend of mine, you know. And and put it this way: any songs that end up on a solo record could have been rap songs. I mean, I wrote a couple songs, and specifically, if you look for it, the one I was talking uh, mentioning to you, go on my side. It's up there. It sounds like rap, and if I and if rap really put its you know pause into the song, it could have really been a rap song. And I offered it up, but you know, if you got somebody in the band that really that does your own band, that's like, no, not right now. Well, all that does number one piss me off. Number two, it makes me want to go be more creative with somebody else. You know. And this is, I guess, the primary question I got from listeners. Mm -hmm. Yeah, live era. It's a live album, double album that came out in 1999. From uh, it's the best of 87 to 93. I had no idea, and I guess, Doug, if you can confirm this, that a lot of the tracks were re-recorded by Axel. That it wasn't, it was kind of That's live. Good. Okay, so live in air quotes. Matt, did you, before Doug, I guess, responds, did you know that? Because I had no, I'm just, a, I guess, an idiot fan that I'm like, oh, it's a live album, it sounds great. I had so, no idea. So, yeah, that's a great uh, a question uh, to get into. Um, I kind of floated that to Jim Mitchell because, as we all know, live albums in rock, how live is it? And I, yeah. I, as I recall, Jim being, you know, he's a classy guy and he's that's not his thing to say anything about that. So I think he kind of, um, 
said, you know, it's most of it or a lot of it, or he kind of in a classiest way possible wouldn't get into that, but I'm sure Doug knows the end. Yeah, Matt. Yeah, it was, it was um, basically all we were doing was calling up fixes. Um, It was the original recorded material, but Slash spent most of the time uh, redubbing tracks. Um, And it wasn't like Slash is the most fallible guy in the band. He just is very um, concise and and considers what the fans are going to listen to. And so if he had made any errors, um, then he would go back and redo uh, the tracks. Um, Axel did a couple of fixes, but from what I remember, it wasn't like, it certainly wasn't every track. Okay. Um, And they were fixes as opposed to redoing the whole thing. Unlike, by the way, Live Like a Suicide, where you've got canned audience noise, which I just drives me crazy. That's it. Oh, so live, because it was canned. So that's what also people were were thought about live era, that they were canned audience or audience was pumped up. Yeah, real audiences. So Matt, did you even before? I'm not a fan of that, the contrivances. Yeah, right. Um, I never would have, and it wasn't my call at the time. I wasn't even around when Live Like a Suicide was released, right? But um, but um, uh, yeah, so when I when I listened to it, because I know it was canned, the, the Live Like a Suicide just drives me crazy. I mean, you can tell how funny it is now in retrospect. So it's interesting that you say Slash is a perfectionist because it seemed to be a lot of the questions uh, were focused on an Axel re-recording uh, Rocket Queen. So I guess with is there a reason why maybe like why wasn't it left with blemishes? Because it's funny because I, I I mean this is just uh, written in uh, in Wikipedia, so I, I'm sure it has a, it does have a citation. It Slash notes the album is quote not pretty and there are a lot of mistakes, but this is Guns and Roses, not the the fucking uh, Manavishnu Orchestra. I had to pronounce that right. It's as honest as it's as honest as it gets, which I guess is not true. So that's it. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, they look. They didn't redo the entire record. Like I said, there were fixes. And and by the way, that's and Matt, you can you can attest to this. That's pretty common when somebody does a live record. They just don't put it out live. I mean, they they go back and make sure that if there's some horrendous takes that or mistakes i guess that they fix them before release it wasn't that uncommon certainly not at the time it's it not uncommon be- now either and i'm mad i'm yeah. sorry because because we at iheart I we have a lot of live performances i mean mainly yeah. before the pandemic and downstairs so there would be yeah. mixes of the show like rec release parties so that I mean, yes that is common but it just seems um i don't know um what if they needed to be redone if there was so much to choose from why weren't like other performances chosen, I guess, like well, why? And again, you, you nailed it in the head though, Brando. There were so many choices that uh, from tracks to uh, versions of tracks that they found the ones with the least mistakes and then Slash would go in and do his fixes. Um, Duff spent a little bit of time doing his fixes and Axel did his fixes, but it wasn't, you know, again, like you said, they're picking the best, but what they went for um wasn't necessarily the 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 tracks with the fewest mistakes they wanted to go for the best energy right because that's what you want to capture inside of a live record is what tracks really put out the best energy matt what were you going to say i'm sorry i cut you off uh to doug's point it it would be the exception not the rule for a band to put out a raw live thing i do i've worked in terrestrial radio i i I know but 
That's what the numbers show. They want to hear Stairway to Heaven six times a day. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, so, I don't know. So <laughs> it's nice to have like a little detour, I think, sometimes on radio where an artist can showcase their of hidden course. gems that they dig. You well, know, it's kind of fun. If right? he needs any <laughs> podcasting advice or editing advice, you can send them my way. Oh, oh awesome. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, it would be much appreciated. <laughs> So um, you, you've told us a lot about what is to expect, and I guess we can't announce anything because everything's on hold. So uh, I guess the right. best way to keep up to date with you is because you are active on Twitter, you are a- active on Instagram. So that's just the best way to keep up to date with all things uh, Susan Holmes McKagan. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Follow me on Instagram. I'm Susan Holmes McKagan. And on Twitter, it's at Sue Holmes McKagan because you can't fit the whole thing. My name's too ding dang long. But. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I try and post daily and behind the scenes and funny or inspiring stuff or, you know, our latest stuff going on. And, you know, I will say GNR have been working fastidiously on some killer new stuff. And I can't say much, but I've heard bits and bobs and it's pretty, pretty epic. Well, I think you just saying that is going to make a lot of fans happy. Yeah, so I, I... do you want to spread good news, but um, not detailed news, <laughs> I guess. So not, not to me, I hopefully they'll it, put a spring in some of your old stuff. <laughs> I look at it differently. You know, and if I can ask, because I thought it was a very interesting question uh, one of my listeners posted. This is from Matt, and he, this is from Poland. And obviously, mm. you're, you're great. I mean, you know, coming on my podcast, not just once, but twice, you're awesome. And these are always Aww, what I thanks do. Thanks for is, having me. <laughs> You're welcome. To, I mean, I, I'm honored. I, I, I mean, I'm honored. But it's interesting for me because, as I mentioned before, I've done terrestrial radio. I'm the I was you know the, the the doofus that talks between the stones and Billy Squire for thirty seconds. But doing this GNR themed podcast can be interesting because I know there are a lot of broadcasters out there or or sites that want a certain headline or want a certain dirt, and that's just not my yeah. That's not my approach. But for you, who already you know, you had your own, you have your own aspirations. You are successful in your own right, not attached to Duff, but you're so. Thanks for commenting on that. (laughs) Well, it's true because you are successful despite, you know, including that. However, you know, you, you said it earlier where you really Mm -hmm. like when fans come up to you during the show or during shows to that. I mean, it's one thing for them to come up to you. We love our fans. I love our fans. Like I said, when we go on the next Guns N' Roses tour, we're going to make it a point and I to go out and say hi to our fans. Who's going to replace Mick and Steven Tyler and, you know, all these great rock and roll frontmen? Who are the next generation, right? Who are the guys that are going to take their place, you know, for the next generation to go, oh, my God, is, is Chris Cornell one of the greatest rock singers of all time, in my opinion? Even Axel used to take me out. I remember when Soundgarden opened for us in Europe. And uh, Axel goes, you guys to come out. I mean, Axel was the one that brought Soundgarden on tour. He's the one that turned me on at Nine Inch Nails. He, he, he said, listen to this record. And he picked a lot of those OP bands, Blind Mel and Shannon Interlude. That was Axel's buddy. And another guy who lost. Yeah. And Shannon was out of his mind. Like, I was so crazy. I'd be like, dude, take it down a notch. Like, but he was so lovable, but, you know, it's just another, another case that couldn't handle the fame. He just could not handle it. Mm. And 
Anyway, long story short, me and Axel, I remember going out, we were in Prague, Czechoslovakia, we are playing this huge stadium. And we went out in Soundgarden, he goes, check this guy out. Oh my God. And I remember standing on the side of the stage with Axel, I mean, Axel Lewis. And he loved music, man. He was very inspired by these guys. And he wanted, he wanted the challenge to be, oh, go up after Chris Cornell. Yeah, you know, like that, and show that to the world. I remember, I remember the Smashing Pumpkins opening for us in Chicago before they had a record deal. Oh. And Axel found out about them. He goes, "Hey, did you hear this? Did you hear about this band in Chicago? He just got signed called Smashing Pumpkins. That was like '91." And I remember, <laughs> I remember they were doing two nights with us in Chicago. They were opening, and that was when we had the St. Louis riot. And they were all set up doing their sound check. And we had a production guy named Opie who still works with the band. Like he went up and said, you guys can pack it up and go home. The band's not coming. <laughs> yeah, <it's funny. laughs> you know, because we were like basically in St. Louis. We had the huge riot. Um, and we we took off and went to Chicago. It's in the book, my book. Right. I remember a lot of stuff like some of the other guys don't tell a lot of those particular stories. But um, I remember we took a van. We drove up to Chicago. And Axel was extradited. You know, he, he was going to get extradited to Missouri and he took off. I flew back to LA to meet with some attorneys and stuff. So the gigs were canceled. You know, we'd canceled, plus all of our gear was ruined in the riot. So we couldn't have played if we wanted to. <laughs> okay. I did not know that. Oh my God! If you look back at the footage, even on YouTube, you know the the crowd took the stage and ruined all the equipment, sold a lot of the gear. You know, a lot of people were injured in that particular. Uh, another tale of survival for Matt Sorum. <laughs> yeah, uh, we ended up leaving the van, and it's in the book, and I don't want to tell the whole story. No, I don't want to spoil it. Right. We all rode this van up to Chicago from St. Louis and uh Eddie took a bus he split right away and then uh <laughs> it was probably one of the coolest van rides I've ever been in because we were all together in van for hours you know here we were at that time being probably the biggest band in the world like riding this van and uh trying to get away from the cops wearing full stage stage regalia still in our stage clothes you know what I mean <laughs> <laughs> Axel was wearing that night he was wearing that feather bow and he had like a skirt on we stopped at a waffle house because we were all hungry we all walked in there yeah in full of stage gear <laughs> everyone, everyone just looked over remember we looked up on the TV and we were on the news <laughs> you know like the riot right yeah it was a great time and the people in St. Louis, it was, it was weird for them and, and a hard, hard situation, but wild times, wild times. But, uh, do, you, yeah. do you foresee, I mean, well, we got to get your book out first, but after that, do you foresee this becoming like a movie? I mean, obviously I spoke to Cherie about the Runaways movie and, you know, Queen and Elton John. <laughs> Is there going to be a GNR movie, do you think, uh, eventually? <laughs> I don't know. 
So I, I, I'm looking at Nico, you know, like I said, London, uh, Roman and Ty, suspect 208. And I'm excited, really excited to talk to you. Uh, I think the world is, is excited to meet you. Uh, I guess first, before you answer this question a million times in your career, suspect 208, who is that? What is that? Like, what is suspect 208? Where'd that come from? It's our old high school PE teacher's name. Was suspect two away? That's Leonard Skinner. Oh god! (laughs) Well played, well played. I like that. That's like the most common question. Um, Sure. Is two hundred eight was the name of my studio, uh, like the room number, and that's kind of where like me and Noah started making music together. Um, And that that was just like our our sanctuary. It was where we could spend all hours of the day and night and night. Do whatever, <laughs> make music, sleep, dude. Activities. Oh. <laughs> um. Parcheesy. So. Gotcha. Pokemon cards. It's a little bit of like our our secret location. So. Okay. But you know, I guess for me it was like the shit that goes down there. It's from the outside. It's it's suspect. Suspicious. <laughs> yeah, everyone's suspicious. <laughs> you don't know what goes on behind closed doors. <laughs> okay, I like that. I like the the meaning behind that. Oh, very cool. So, suspect two hundred eight. You dropped what? Uh, am I wrong in assuming is it an ironic title? Long awaited. Just out of nowhere, this this band just drops a. It wasn't long awaited. It would have been if we. I mean, there were rumors. To be honest with you, as someone who like me who has a Guns N' Roses themed podcast, I've heard rumors. Obviously, I have known Nico in London for a while. I know you guys playing music for a while. You know, Tyre. I, I know you're in the news uh, when you play with Corn. You know, people wanting to see what Roman is going to do, and it's. But all of a sudden, bam! Suspect Two Way comes out with a, uh, with with a brand new song. How did that? How how when did this band? I guess come to be. I mean. Have you all been friends for a while? I mean, we can go, we're going to go down that, that route of, you know, uh, I, I know how London and, and Nico became friends because the, the, the moms are friends, right? That's how that happened. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. We, we explain that story all the time. I, re, I, re, yeah. Cause I, I remember actually, I, I forget a lot of things as I mentioned, so but I do. Knowing in detail, I've known Nico since I was a child. His mother used to work with my mom and we would hang out. Um, barbecues, barbecues birthday, kids' birthday parties when they're like four or five years old. And someone else who was at those birthday parties and was also like part of the, the whole family was Noah. So. Okay. Okay. Through we've life, met, but yeah. we've, we've never, I've, I've never like brought Noah and Nico or Ty together all at once. It's kind of just been our own little separate things. Yeah. So Except you. I've tried to work with him before, and he he, he goes he goes um, to us. He left us. He <laughs> left us on red. We wanted him to play in classless, and he, yeah. he ghosted. Yeah, like three years ago. Interesting. <laughs> he was like thirteen at the time. Yeah. Couldn't get. <laughs> so that's something else to ask. Is Robin, you're you're twenty and Ty, you're are you fifteen? Is that sixteen? I'm, okay. I'm the youngest guy here. I'm the I'm still the kid here, so <laughs> it's it's totally different yeah. for us because like me and Nico have played in bands when we're the babies. I've always been the youngest. Okay. So, I mean, I'm me 18. Too. Nico's 18. He just turned 20. So now you're the odd man out. But in yeah. all the other bands I've played in, there's been people like <laughs> eight years older than me. You know, you're a veteran at 18. <laughs> yeah. And he he he's been a veteran since fucking like. 
six. So yeah, Ty, 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 maybe sixteen, uh, but he has more he, experience no, than any of us. He's got he's got the balls and the. So I don't know he has the balls. He's sixteen, but. Ty, is this your your first like what's what was your first band then? Since you're so young and you know again you are you're, you're making headlines without even trying. You're just you're. Oh, thank you. You're, yeah. Um, so, I guess because it's a big decision, for you yeah. guys. It's like you know your friends are jamming, but it's like this is a band. Yeah. This is a song. So, you know, is this your first big band together? Um. Or first for yourself rather. For I mean, I had, I guess like I I had like a childhood band back like. Childhood like, band at sixteen. Like, okay, yeah, sorry. The helmets, you know, and then, but then I formed into another band called Auto, which I'm still in, but. Okay. Like suspect is also like auto was kind of like my first like I guess like first band with a good amount of recognition and then okay. it blew up. This, so it, yeah, like, this this takes on recognition yeah. and nothing that like any of us ever expected. Yeah, yeah we didn't like, expect any of this. Anything close to what happened, we did not expect any of this. Okay. We thought like we thought this interesting song would like peak at like. 10k or something like that and we didn't even know it was on youtube too we thought it would be like yeah 10k on like soundcloud or something like that or like spotify i don't know oh, i want to look that up what is the last number on youtube for you guys it was like half a million right it's like it was something I, oh, wow almost out of it, million. i mean it, it, okay as you're you're saying that so because i would have i'm glad you said that about this wasn't planned because it's like you almost you almost played like fantasy sports, like fantasy, like a like draft, honestly. Like if you have your established players, I, I make a lot of sports musician analogies. So yeah. there's a lot of players already, uh, established musicians, bands are already out there in the field. Mm-hmm. But they're like, okay, who's the next? And I want to draft the best, you know, who's out there, what are big names? I would have I put you guys together. So the fact that this wasn't some sort of someone's brainchild, I guess, it just happened organically. And this is just like this isn't some like because like first yeah. it was first it was me and uh, I was just making like rap and R and B just because it was like fun and it's like that's honestly only what I listen to even still like okay interesting and uh, what was I gonna say um, so I was making that and then he was like no no i was like curious to how i could do on rock because when i was little i could kind of like i always was like into like my chemical romance and like green day and like nirvana just like just you know what i mean and like and uh, and what was i gonna say so i was like all right i'm gonna try and make something like more like rock based and then the first thing i did was uh one of the songs i put out it's called that summer and people liked it and it did pretty good and because I had like only like a thousand something followers or anything. So obviously I didn't expect it to be big or anything, but it actually did pretty good. So then I was like, uh, well, like before that, a lot of people will like listen to it before I put it out. And then he heard it and he was like, dude, we got to do something. So then we uh, went, to stu- went to the studio one time, made a song together from scratch and it was like fast and it just happened quick and it just w- was good. Then another time he sent me like a, uh, like he just started sending me guitar stuff. I started like adding stuff to it and making songs from it and then release that it did good. Then I was like, he was like, okay, let's see if like Nico would be down to like work with us. And he hit up Ty too. It was like, uh, 
and it was like, oh, you should work with like me and Noah because we're doing stuff. So we kind of wanted to just me and him collaborate with like a bunch of different people. And then it kind of just like yeah. formed together because like all three, just three of us made a song first and it was one of my songs, but they're like credited obviously on the song. And then huh. that's when I came in the picture. And that's that's interesting. Uh, I mean, that, that's that's cool. We're we're really learning about the the, the formulation of it, which is like what I wanted. But Roman, that's interesting that you, you 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 I guess you prefer hip hop. Like, who are your 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 some of your favorite artists? I guess your your yeah. That's because I, I I'm like, not gonna lie. Ever since the '90s, it's I kind of like tapped out. Uh -huh. no, Do you listen to Heavy like, D? You know, Heavy D and the Boys. No, I honestly don't listen to like any like older like rap or okay. art. Like, <laughs> okay. like i'm just gonna be honest like no no i know i was kind of like people, people heavy reference will laugh anyway so i guarantee you most people would think like most of like the people that like our music at least so far would think i'm just like would be blown away by how trash they would think it is but it, like i like like chris brown i like the weekend uh tory lane's uh nba young boy young thug and just like it but somehow it's like that the because it's all like really it's not like straight rap it's like melodic or like singing rap so it's like that's how kind of how like i started learning how to like make melodies like hearing from that because it's really melodic so that's why like a lot of my songs are like super super melodic because it, it comes from like hearing that because i don't i don't really have much of a background for rock music like i don't have a big catalog that i ever really got into then what comes with and uh and well, london we spoke about this you know episode 40 as far as you know the motivation to become a drummer not wanting to be a guitarist not wanting to be in that you know that shadow i guess and, and ty you can come on i come on this uh, comment on this if you want but roman was there any is there a pressure to because again you weren't thinking about singing rock did you not want to sing rock and all of a sudden, like, was there kind of like a hesitance to sing rock given your, well, your like, background as well? I mean, I did when I was little, I wanted to, but then my, just, I stopped listening to all that stuff. And it's like, I just, starting from like eighth grade up until now, it's just been like strictly, well, not like strictly, I obviously have my moments where I listen to other genres, but like 75% of the music I listen to is just rap and R&B. Okay. You can kind of like hear it in like the, like the way I like melodic uh, and lyrical and lyric. You know that's funny. I think lyrically, too, lyr yeah. lyrically too, but also the way I like kind of go fast while I'm like singing. Kind of rap. Yeah, it's kind of rap-ish and, yeah, in a way. That's what's like unique about it. It's, I mean, to me, it's what's cool about what we do because like we're not just like a rock band. I mean, the song we're gonna put out, it's everything is just. Yeah. Our, what, our what, next song is about to be a lot different. I mean, obviously not like rap or R and B. I'm just saying it's it's like a we're yeah. gonna show a, like a a good different side. Different, uh, yeah, different side. Sure. Because it's like everyone kind of brings a different influence, you know. Like mm -hmm. Ty, the way he plays and what he's listened to, and the, his riffs are very like punk and metal, and you know, and and hard. And like Noah's melodies are very melodic and and like pretty, you know, and you know it's like it all kind of come. I, I'm a big fan of like classic rock as well as uh, like new Indian alternative stuff. So that kind of all 
eclectically combines to become something that's kind of a weird mix of all of them. It's it's yeah. just nothing that's like out there today right now. I mean, the shit that we're gonna come out with, um, I, I think it, it lacks what's out there. Like lacks um, soul. You know, everyone's yeah. just trying to put out a number one hit and very overproduced. We're doing everything ourselves. Yeah. Now, so. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, we're just, we're not going to say like tied down. Mm-hmm. So that does it for the best of 2020 for Appetite for Distortion. Thank you so much for hanging out and reliving these moments with me. I would be remiss and I will not end the episode without thanking Graham from Scotland. TNK Studios, Iowa's Life. You may remember those uh, those names, his name from the interview uh, the episode that we did about his Izzy Stradlin documentary. I hope you got to see it, like many Guns N' Roses things on the, on the internet. Sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not. But follow iOS Live or TNK Studios on Twitter for updates about the, the Izzy doc. But uh, he's just one of the many people I have to thank for getting this far with this Six Degrees of Guns N' Roses Bacon podcast. So thank you to Brett and Alternative Nation who have just consistently from episode 20, so going back further than this year, has you know, helped me promote my podcast and transcribe many of my interviews, which, you know, much like Graham, it's, it's a, a tough task. So another person helped me out promote my podcast. Uh, UltimateGuitar.com, Blabbermouth, they constantly you know share my, my interviews and getting my name out there. There are a lot of others, uh, but I know Ultimate Guitar and Blabbermouth, along with Alternative Nation, share and transcribe more than any other rock news outlet. But last and certainly not least, I need to thank you. There's no way I do this podcast without you. Yes, I've gotten to interview some awesome people. I, I feel very fulfilled I, I, that I happen to make this kind of hobby podcast and, and kind of cross over and intertwine it with my radio career, so it's become very fulfilling, but... The reason I keep going, keep doing this, is because of you. Whether you are one of the the, the many the people who comment all the time on Twitter or Facebook and Instagram, and I, and I see you, I try to like everyone's comments or acknowledge them. Uh, whether you are private, you, you rarely, if ever, comment on my stuff, but you DM me support. You private message me. I heard this episode. This was great. Thank you. you know, those of who have participated in the episodes whether it's as a co-host whether it's we we've done these riot episodes involving you fans so thank you for making appetite for distortion what it is and well what it could be so let's see what 2021 brings hopefully a new guns and roses album <laughs> probably not i don't believe you axel but we're going to be here. We're going to be waiting. And what's to come on the podcast? Who will be the guests that we're going to have on the show in 2021? Well, there's only one way to find out. You got to stick around. You got to follow the, the podcast on social media. Facebook.com slash the AFD show. Twitter at the AFD show. Instagram appetite for distortion. That is how the conversation continues in between the podcasts. So who will be the next guests? When will you see these episodes? In the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy, you'll see it. I don't know if soon is the word. Yeah.